If you uh, got yourself a bulletin, you can follow along with our message today, which is really about the future, and it is about decision-making. And I kind of really pushed off of this, uh, this drama, which I wrote some years back, uh, primarily for high school seniors. I thought that we would, uh, actually, I wanted to film it, but then I, I uh, encountered these two people that can just be crazy on stage, and I thought that'll be good just to do it on stage like that, and, and it was a lot of fun. But uh, I guess you could, you could say that there, there could be two titles to this message. One is, I know who holds the future. Amen? Amen? So have you ever heard that old saying, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future? I, we don't know what the future holds. I mean, at this point, we're, we're like, I, I don't know, 80 some odd days away, um, 70 some odd days away from a, a major election that will potentially transform the landscape of the United States of America in many, many ways. We just don't know what's going to happen. COVID, we're constantly confronted with that, and we don't know what's going to happen. We have all these unknowns and up in the airs, and it's making a lot of people very stressed, uh, depressed, panicky, and it's understandable. But if you have your heart set right and you know who holds the future, then you hang on to him and not what the prognosticators are saying, not what the naysayers are saying, but you say, you know what? I know who holds the future. I know who holds my future. I like what the Apostle Paul said to his uh, young protege, Timothy. Um, he said, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him against that day. What is that day? Well, day of judgment, really, pretty much uh, in Paul's estimation there. But uh, there you know, are, are many crises that we face on the way to that day of judgment, which, by the way, we get the word crisis from the Greek word for judgment. And uh, so every crisis is a day of judgment. Every crisis is a time of judgment for us. And that's what we're going through right now. Uh, on Wednesdays, I've been teaching through 1 Peter, and the title of that uh, series, which is a verse-by-verse -verse series through 1 Peter, is This is a Test. And I spoke about that um, specifically last Wednesday. If you want to check that out, go to my YouTube channel, and you'll see all of that teaching is there. You can also subscribe to the podcast, and that'll get you all of the teaching. Uh, I'm not just trying to do shameless self-promotion. I want you to get all the teaching that is being offered here because it's going to help you. And uh, going through 1 Peter, I would just, I'd advise you to read that. 1 Peter is a, is a great book to read when you're going through difficulty and suffering uh, as uh, some people are going through right now. Um, but there are, some, uh, there are some ideas, some principles that I would like you to firmly establish that will help you to have confidence in our current time of crisis. Um, in our current time of uncertainty, and that will also help you in personal decision-making. So we do the, the two young people that were on stage right here, as well as the young man that was up there doing all of the, uh, the FX for us and so forth, and who's doing all of our cameras, Jacob. They're all, they're all seniors, so they're facing a time in their life where they've got to make decisions about their future. But, you know, we go through times in our life uh, where we make decisions about all sorts of things. You know, uh, am I going to go to this school or that school? Am I going to take this job or that job? Do I believe that I'm suited for this career or that career? Do I want to marry this person or that person? Should we buy this house or should we buy a house at all or should we buy that house? Now, those are all major decisions. But then we have a series of more minor decisions that we face throughout the day. So the other possible and less interesting 
perhaps less emotionally satisfying title for this sermon was uh, a title that you heard uh, Pastor Craig use to introduce the skit, and you also heard it in the skit. What is the criterion for your decision? Uh, to which Tom said, yeah, you sound like a science teacher, and maybe that's what it sounds like to you. What is the criterion? No, what's the basis for your decision? You see, what I think a lot of people do is they just say, yeah, just play it by ear. Yeah, you know, just go along and see how I feel about it. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Translation, you have no criterion for your decision. You're just, you're like an emotional rag doll. You ever seen a dog play with a rag doll? <laughs> they just shake it everywhere. You know, this is you. This is making my decision. Where am I going to go? It's like Tom, right? Driving that car down the road. And she says, you need to make a decision, Tom. You need to get off there. What in the world did you do? Some of you make decisions, major decisions, just like that, right? So if we're on the broad road that leads to destruction, the first decision we need to make is to make a U-turn and get off that broad road that leads to destruction and get on the narrow road that leads to life. Amen? Because if you're on the same superhighway as everybody else, going the same direction as everybody else, well, the highway is going to end at some point. And that's going to be the end for you. So you need to get off that highway. You need to get, to get on the narrow road that leads to life, first of all. Okay? But secondly, as you make decisions throughout your time on earth, you need to have a basis, a criterion for those decisions. You need to have a rational criterion for your decisions. Friends, friends, stop living by your emotions. Oh, that's intuition. No, it's just emotion. And see, we've been brought up to live on our emotions. We've been to a million movies. We've all seen a million TV shows. We've read many books. And one thing that you need to understand, in order to write a story, there has to be conflict or nobody wants to read your story. There has to be conflict. And this is why we're addicted to conflict right now. If there's no conflict, there's no story and people aren't interested in paying attention. So um, sometimes people just go from conflict to conflict and crisis to crisis and emotional decision to emotional decision. You get sold everything you get sold on the basis of emotion. I mean, they show the picture of a car, they show the picture of a, a computer or the, the picture of a, of a smartphone, and you're like, man, that looks really good. It just makes me feel a certain way. But what's the criterion for your decision? These new, I, I've been tempted to upgrade my smartphone, all right, uh, for some time. And I used to do it regularly because I just had this little upgrade plan. I was paying a certain amount a month for that phone. I upgraded it. I sold the old one, and it went, it went along fine. Finally, I decided I was tired of going with the, uh, the uh, service provider that I was with, and the church was on that same plan because they were just so expensive. So I went with a different service provider, and I just bit the bullet, and I got the money uh, out of my savings, and I just paid off my phones. So now I own the phone. So now I'm thinking about upgrading a phone. I'm like, do I want to add 30, 40? Are you looking at some of these smartphones? 50, upwards of $60 a month to your bill just so you can use this phone for a couple of years, at which time they're going to make sure that you can no longer use it, right? Because, oh, no, you need the latest this and you need the latest that. And, you know, well, a lot of times you really don't need it, but they upgrade things to such a degree and it requires faster processors and all this other stuff that eventually you get to a place where your battery doesn't hold uh, uh, any kind of charge any longer for any period of time. Um, I have a phone that I, I run this camera down here on. This is how we get out to Facebook right now. And uh, it's my old iPhone 7 that I used to use. But, you know, I turn it off and the battery runs down. How does that happen? 
But nonetheless, that's the case. But the only time I do it is when we're in here, this, and it stays up for that. So I can't have this emotional decision-making that says, no, but I just really need a new phone because it's pretty, you know, because it, the screen is awesome. And I don't, I, you know, I don't like the bezel and it's an iPhone. I don't like the notch. I want to get this one that doesn't have the notch. I want to get the one that's 5G. Do you really think you're going to notice the difference between 4G and 5G? I just doubt it. Okay, and maybe if you play these really, really fast games on your phone or whatever, then the refresh rate and the 5G would make a difference to you. But what am I trying to get at? Hopefully I'm, I'm talking about something that's relevant to most of us, okay? We make emotional decisions about what we buy and what we do, and we should not. We should have a different criterion, a reasonable criterion, an intelligent criterion, something that is based in the truth, okay? So let's start, let's take a look at, uh, at these, uh, these principles I'd like for you to get. Number one, God is timeless. God is timeless, and therefore he knows the future. So while I believe uh, the case can be made, just by virtue of reading scripture, that um, God can and often does experience time down alongside his creatures, he's not limited to time. You're limited to three and a half dimensions of space-time. I say half a dimension because you only go forward, right? So the fourth dimension of space-time is time, but time goes backwards and forwards, but you only go forward. So you and I experience three and a half dimensions of space-time. God lives in a realm, we call it heaven or the heavens, that is above and beyond our space-time. Call it a set of dimensions that you and I don't experience directly, but we can make contact with through the spirit that God has put within us. But God is in that space-time place, if you will, that is above and beyond ours. And he is, in fact, timeless. That's a really, really important principle for you to get a hold of because that means that God knows the future, right? So number two, it's not enough to realize that God knows the future, we need to believe that God is going to do something about it when he sees that things are going badly. Number two, God is providential. I, I, you've probably heard me use that term. You might have heard another preacher use that term. It's you know often used by Calvinists and uh, Presbyterians who are often Calvinists. But even though I'm not a Calvinist per se, I do believe strongly in providence. And what that means is God works everything out for our good and his glory. I bet you know a verse that relates to that, don't you? I quote it in here all the time. Do you know Romans 8.28? So the New American Standard version of that I like. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. How many things does God cause to work together for your good if you love him? Even COVID? Even a presidential election when your candidate doesn't get elected? Even when there's protests in big cities and, and burning and riots? No, all things. What about in your personal life? What, what about if your finances are just really tanking right now? What about if uh, your significant other has left you? What if your, your kids are not behaving and you don't know how to get them to behave? Does that mean all things? That means all things. So God uses circumstances to his glory and to your good. So there's nothing, even, this is so awesome, 
even mistakes that you make. Some people live in regret because of mistakes they've made in the past. Maybe you have a big fat past behind you that's just like a shadow, casting a shadow over you. Or, or change metaphors, it's like a heavy weight that just presses you down. I've made all of these mistakes, and in spite of the fact that I'm trying to make things right now, I'm still dealing with regret because of all those past mistakes. And you know, to some degree, we deal with consequences because of those past mistakes. That's why young people who are seniors and making decisions, you need to have a criterion for your decision-making because you're making decisions in the next several years that will set your life going in a direction that it will be hard to move off of, yeah. right? Yeah. But know that God is providential. He's going to use every good thing and every bad thing and even the foolish decisions that you make. The reality is this. God delivered the people of Israel from Egyptian slavery. So for those that would like to say that the Bible is pro-slavery, I would say that the greatest redemption story in the Old Testament is God delivering people from slavery, right? He delivered them from Egyptian slavery, and he brought them to the edge of a promised land, and they were too scared and had no faith and wouldn't go in and take it. Now, it took them about 40 days to get from their deliverance Go to Mount Sinai, get the law, and come to the edge of the promised land. 40 days, and they could have gone into the promised Now, they would have had to fight. God's got promises for you, but you've got to fight to take them. Amen? Yeah. He's not going to give up on those promises. Even if you feel like you've gotten too old to receive them, God's not giving up. Abraham was 100 before he had his child of promise. Amen? I don't know how long I'm going to live, but that's a long time to wait. <laughs> Let me tell you. I'm, I'm about middle-age-ish right now, and, uh, and I'm tired. <laughs> there are, the, the, the people in this room that were formerly my teenagers who are actually middle-aged finally are laughing their faces off at me right now. They're like, no, we're middle-aged. <laughs> You're old. Number three, only a fool neglects or refuses to factor God into the decision-making process. Now, that sounds like I'm saying, well, God is just one factor, but you're going to find that it's more significant than that. But there are people who simply make decisions. What is their criterion for that decision, right? Um, well, their criterion could be money. We're going to chase the money. So I remember a, a young man... Uh, who you know very well, uh, who uh, I was mentoring for a while, who wanted to be an accountant. And I, I said, that just doesn't seem to be your personality, brother. I and if you knew this kid, you would know. And some of you did know this kid. He just, I just didn't see him sitting in front of a computer and punching numbers all day. No, Pastor D, they make a lot of money. And I can do this and do this and do this. And I was just imagining this kid who is so incredibly active, right, just had so much energy that needed to be moving all the time, trying to sit still in front of a computer screen for eight hours a day. You have to have a, the right temperament for that. And he didn't have that temperament. But it wasn't because he felt called to be an accountant. He just thought that was a way to make money. So you might be chasing the money. Or you might be chasing the honeys. Well, my girlfriend is going to that college, so I'm going to go with her. Well, he's going over there, so, or I'm going to go to that school because it's a party school and there's a lot of honeys over there. 
that's just a dumb criterion for your decision making. So you're going to go to a school that's known as a party school so that you can waste all the money that you're spending in that school and get out and have no job. Right? People chase the money. People chase the honeys. People chase prestige. No, I want people to know me as this. I want to go to this school or I want to get that job because I want people to know me as an important person, as a reputable person. I want them to look up to me. I want them to bow down to me, right? You're chasing the prestige. When the reality is that school might not be the best school for you. I know a story of a, a, a young man who was attending Texas A&M, great college, but he was encountering a lot of the partying that was going on on his campus and he'd been there, I think, for about a semester. And he came home and he said, I just don't want to do this anymore. This is, you know, to graduate from that school would have, would have given him some prestige and perhaps would have put him in a position to get some sort of a job that would get him prestige. But it just wasn't what he was cut out for, what he was made for. So now that young man works with his family and is really, he's married, has kids, is quite successful. He decided to go with something that was more fitting for who he was and what he was created to be, not just chasing the prestige of a particular degree. Now, we have colleges all over the country today that are known and have great prestige behind them that have turned into nothing more than propaganda arms for the left. You go in thinking straight and you come out and you're, you're bent left, right? They've just turned into indoctrination stations, and that's sad. But there are schools that maybe don't have the same name recognition, but would give you a better education. So don't chase the money. Don't chase the honeys. Don't chase the prestige. And then some people are just looking for the power. This is the, the reason behind a lot of politicians. Honestly, this is the reason behind a lot of people who get into a lot of helping professions. Some people get into helping professions, and that could be counseling, that could be the preaching, right? Um, get into that because they want to help other people. They might get into it uh, because they're kind of about halfway codependent. They need people to depend on them and rely on them and, and make them feel important, right? And that's kind of a, a power situation. But there are people who get into jobs like police officers, prison guards, politicians, because they want to tell other people what to do. There are even teachers that get into that position for that purpose, right? And they find out that that's just too much work. <laughs> But the reality is, you and I need to avoid those as the bases for our decision-making, okay? Um, number four, the process for decision-making, in fact, is quite simple. Seek the will of God in every decision you make. So if you lose me after this, because I've gone too long, just mark number four. You need to seek the will of God in every decision. Stop making independent decisions. Stop just deciding what you're going to do. You need to pray through that decision. You need to seek God's will. You need to be like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, Father, if it is possible for this cup of suffering to pass by me, for me to do this another way, for me to redeem human beings another way, then let that happen. Because he knew the immense amount of pain that he was about to go through. And he wasn't some masochist. But Jesus said, yet, not my will, but thy will be done. That's what you need to say with every single decision you make. You don't want this or that, this job or that job, 
to marry this person or that person, to go to this college or that college. You want the will of God. Amen? And I should have put this in here, um, but when you seek the will of God, a no is as good as a yes. Amen? You might want to write that one down. I promise, if God shuts the door, if God says no, it might feel like rejection. It might feel like your plan is being thwarted. It might feel like, well, God just doesn't care and he's not helping me and I've asked him for this. But it might be that God's saying, no, I have something better for you. Stop running this way. And every time he stops you and he thwarts you in that attempted decision, you need to back up and say, what's the providence in this? What is God saying? Now, you may need to be persistent. You may have an overwhelming conviction, and you may have scripture as you've studied the word that says, no, this is the direction I'm supposed to take. And so maybe it's the enemy that is trying to thwart you, that's trying to stop you. But at every point, you have the opportunity to make up your mind and to pray, to seek the Lord, and to continue pressing on and to be rewarded as the result of pressing on. All right. So there's number five. I already said this. I thought that I wrote that in there. You don't want the money, the honey, the prestige, or the power. You want God's will for your life. That's what you want. You don't want anything but God's will for your life. So it doesn't matter where you live. You know, if you live in a tiny house in a you know little little bitty place, or if you live in some mansion, none of that's going to make you happy. What's going to make you happy is when you fulfill your purpose. Right? And your primary purpose is to become more like Jesus. That's your primary purpose. But you're going to do that by going through certain things and doing certain things. Right? Now, when I see people who have certain gifts, talents, abilities, um, I do my best to enable them, to equip them, to empower them. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm not supposed to do it all for you. Right? I'm an equipper. That's what a pastor is. Um, if you go to Ephesians chapter 4 and you see that the, there are gifts that are given to the church, and these gifts are people. God gives those people certain gifts, and they exercise those gifts within the, the church. And the final of those is prophets and uh, evangelists. It starts out with apostles, and then prophets, then evangelists. And then the last one is pastors and teachers. And some uh, interpreters would say that that's an interchangeable. It's pastor-teacher, right? Um, but that is... That's the gift that the Lord has given me. But then it says, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry, I'm equipping you to do your ministry. I'm not here to gather a bunch of followers and say, oh, man, look at how many people watch my YouTube. Look at how many people, you know, said like on my Facebook. Look at how many people came to my church. No, I'm here to equip you to be a child of God. Amen? I'm here to equip you to be the person God has called and created you to be. You want to know why I did the drama club? I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and we've had spurts and starts. I did it primarily because of these two kids right here. I thought, you know, they're in this church, and they have all this talent. It doesn't make any sense for me not to give them an opportunity. And then I started looking at other people that might want to do theater as well. Jamie comes along. She was the, the lead in, our, in our, uh, our Christmas play this year and turns out to be quite a powerhouse. And then you haven't seen Miss Jubilee yet. Now, I've been, I've been knowing, forgive my grammar, but I've been knowing that that child was going to be an incredible little actress since she was three. His, her parents probably know no longer than that, right? <laughs> so she wanted to come to drama club. She comes to drama club, and I give her a, a script that's got a serious number of lines for, how old is she now, nine, ten, nine? nine? For a nine-year-old, right? 
And she is blowing and burning through that thing. And she's getting up here and she's just big and loud and energetic and taking over the stage. And I'm doing this for those folks, right? And for you, because you get to be blessed by their gifts. Amen? Have you liked the skits the last couple of weeks? That's all it is, right? So, and I have some other gifts. I can direct, I can write. Uh, Two weeks ago, I didn't write that one. But this week, I wrote that one. So we just use what God has given us, and we need each other to kind of be empowered to do that. So I don't ever write drama unless I think that it can actually be done or performed. I don't just write because it's fun. There's an end to that. I I want to preach the gospel with that. I want to communicate something with that, right? Um, So what I'm telling you is by having them, it enables me. It empowers me. They equip me. They encourage me. It's good for me. Okay, just like it's good for you. That's the body of Christ. That's us all working together. Number six, you love this. You might have heard this. How many of you in this room would be characterized as millennials? Raise your hand. Yeah, there's a few of you. Yeah, these younger people are not sure. Or Gen Z. How's that one? Yeah. So have you ever heard... uh, uh, in millennials, you know, they're on up into their 30s now, okay, Gen Z, teenagers, whatever. But have you ever heard well-meaning adults, and for those of you that said this to these kids, please forgive me because I'm about to contradict you, but you'll see that I have a good purpose behind it. But have you ever heard this phrase, you can be whatever you want to be? <laughs> Do you wonder why virtually every millennial I talk to right now wants a socialist state? Because they figured out that's just not true. Gosh, I thought I was going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30, and I'm not. I thought I was going to be a movie star. I thought I was going to be a rock star. I thought I was going to be a rap star. I thought I'm going to, you cannot be whatever you want. Now, don't let other people hold you down, but you cannot be whatever you choose. I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to be, I don't know if I wanted to be a professional baseball player or if I just wanted to be recognized as a, a high school baseball player. But man, I just dreamed, I imagined myself stepping up to the plate and just cracking that home run and then having everybody, oh, and running around the bases. I'm a terrible athlete, all right? (laughs) I mean, I've studied karate for years and years and years, and it's been very good for me because Japanese karate, traditional karate, doesn't take anything for granted. It doesn't assume you know anything. We teach you how to stand. We teach you how to breathe. We teach you how to hold your hands. Uh, it's, it's completely deep. That's good for me. That helped me a lot. So I'm proficient at that, but I've had to work and work and work, and I'm just not a natural athlete. I cannot be whatever I want to be. Or I always wanted to rip the lead guitar, man. I wanted to get up there and do what Dean does, right? Like he was playing this little thing this morning, and I said, oh, man, I said, that, that, that sounds like Eye of, Eye of the Tiger. And he just rips right into Eye of the Tiger. I'm like, I hate you, right? <laughs> but my first album that I ever bought was the Eagles Hotel California. That'll date me. First album I ever bought. I bought it on the same day that I watched the first Star Wars in the theater. I was in downtown Weaverville, North Carolina, visiting my dad, my birth father. And I had a little bit of money that I got for my birthday. Even though this was in the summer, they gave me a birthday cake and some birthday money because I'd gone all the way out to North Carolina. 
and I walked into uh, this, this little record store. Yes, they did used to have record stores. Yes, it was an actual record. It was vinyl. Okay. I walked into the record store, and I bought the Eagles Hotel California, and I had it in a bag. And I walked just down uh, the breezeway there to the movie theater. And at that point in time, this is how we get the term blockbuster. You didn't have these multiplexes where there were 6, 10, 12, 18 theaters in the same building. You had one theater. And you typically had one big major theater, and that's where Star Wars would be. And people would stand in line around the block. That's a blockbuster. Well, the first Star Wars movie and the next one as well uh, played at, uh, I believe it was called the Cine Capri in downtown Phoenix. Uh, right off of Camelback, if I remember correctly. Now, I didn't see Star Wars there because it was just always too full. It was always too busy. I didn't want to stand in line. But I did see the next one, The Empire Strikes Back there. And my best friend and I stood in line for hours and hours and hours and saw the midnight show of The Empire Strikes Back. Okay? But the first Star Wars had been out for a while, and I had never seen it because it was just always too full. I, downtown Weaverville, North Carolina, man, I walked into the theater, and I'm sitting right in the middle of the theater. I felt like I had the theater to myself, and I watched that whole thing. I was like, this is awesome, right? So why am I telling you this long story? Um, because uh, there is a, there's a song, uh, it's on side two of that album, that starts off with a lead, and I always used to stand in my bedroom and just, you know, air guitar that lead. I can't play guitar for, I, I have taken guitar lessons. I took guitar lessons in high school. I took guitar lessons in college, and I am terrible. You can't be whatever you want to be, but you can be what God created you to be. Amen? I believe I can preach. I believe I can teach. I believe I can write. I believe I can direct. Because I've experienced those things. I was put into a position to experiment with those things. And young people, I'm not trying to tell you don't try stuff. In fact, that's the only way you're, what you're, you're going to find out what you are calling creative for. You need to try stuff. I did try playing the guitar. I can play a few chords. Y'all can just run out the back door as I play uh, Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven. All right, which apparently like every guitar store prohibits people from playing because everybody knows that. Um, but nonetheless, you don't want me leading worship. You, you really don't. Did you know I tried to lead worship one time in our church? It was scary. All right. <laughs> so number six, you can become what God calls you to. Number seven is very simple. And this comes from, uh, you can look, look this up. And this is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. And then also in Luke uh, 11, 9 through 13. Ask, seek, and knock. And knock means try. That's what college should be about. College shouldn't be about being indoctrinated into a particular set of beliefs, whether that is on the, the, the left or whether that is on the right. I didn't go to a Bible college. Now, I'm not saying that that's a bad idea, but I went to a major university because I wanted kind of the best of both worlds. I, wanted to, I went to Baylor. And so I wanted the availability of that Christian environment, but I wanted a, a regular university. 
And so as the result, I had the opportunity to go through and sample and experience a variety of different things as I took different classes. Now, you might not be a college-oriented person, or you might be past the age where you want to do that, but there's all sorts of other ways to sample and experience different areas. But you've got to try. But in the process, you don't just try, you ask the Lord. You enter into a time of praying. That's what Jesus said. Ask and you will receive. Say receive. Seek and you will knock and the door will be. That's what we do. I'm not trying to get my way. I'm trying to get God's will. Oh, that's a good one. You probably ought to write that down. I'm not trying to get my way. I'm trying to find God's will. That's what I want. So you're going to go through things. I remember one time um, I had been a Christian for, I don't know, two years, maybe three years. Uh, I became a believer, firmly committed my life to Jesus uh, toward the end of my sophomore year in high school and immediately got involved in a church there. And I was there all the time. Okay, I, I was like the two of you. I was there all the time. Every time the doors were open, we did anything. I was there. 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 Right. I was there for Wednesday Bible study, me and all the old people. Yeah, like you, last week, right? Um, I was there on Monday night for Monday night outreach. We used to go out and revisit the people that had visited our church and knock on the door. Hi, you visited us yesterday. You know, now, you know, somebody pull a gun on you or something. I don't know, but um, that's what we did, and that's I was always there. Well, there was this fellow there that was about my age, and like I said, this is three or four years later. This is before I, I transferred to Baylor. I started at a small Christian school called Grand Canyon University, and uh, there was a young man who was there, and he was my, about my same age. And so we were kind of, we were sitting in the front row, and I think it might have been like, a, it might have been a Wednesday night, a Wednesday night Bible study, which, you know, I have like six or eight people here. You know, Pastor Jackson had like 500, you know. And so we're sitting in the front row, and we're talking, and we, we got to talking about all the jobs that we'd had. So I was 21, so I know, I know how, uh, I, I became a Christian at 16, I was 21, so it was five years later. Um, and we started comparing notes of how many jobs we had had and what we had done. I had had 21 different jobs by the time I was 21 years old. I have done everything from, I've been a bus boy, I have washed dishes, uh, I was a waiter for a short period of time. I'm terrible at that also, by the way. <laughs> oh, I spilled a huge bowl of shrimp cocktail on the vice president of operations for um, uh, the hotel that I was working for, which was Holiday Inn, and they were trying to put in this kind of swankier Holiday Inn with this fancy restaurant. So they were teaching us how to do Bananas Foster and Cherries Jubilee. And I wasn't even old enough to drink, but I could you know, present the wine and swirl it around and do all of those things. So first night, right, I, I get this table full of Holiday Inn execs, and here's the, this lady that's the, the like, uh, vice president of like, operations or something like that, and she's sitting there, and she orders this shrimp cocktail. Well, they had this huge goblet, right? It was on a skinny, skinny neck, and then it flared out at the top, and they had five huge jumbo shrimps stacked on one side, and it was filled with cocktail sauce. So I came out there like I was supposed to. <laughs> Towel around my arm. <laughs> And I walked up to her to serve her on the left side, because you're supposed to serve food from the left, right? So I come up to her like this. Her purse is sitting down here alongside. I didn't see that right away, but I, I, I'll tell you why I did in just a moment. 
and I served her. And as I stuck my hand out like this, the bay shrimp were on this side, that side of the glass was heavy, and it just fell over on my arm and filled up her purse and sprayed all over her skirt. So I went home early that night. <laughs> and they didn't fire me, but they didn't put me back on the schedule either. I just figured out, that's just, I, you know, there are things you're cut out for, things you're not cut out for. God has called you, he's created you for something, he's called you to something. You may go through a bunch of different jobs as you're traveling along and becoming more like Jesus, but you can't just do anything and whatever. You need to ask the Lord, you need to seek, and you need to try things. So don't think I'm scaring you off of the young people. I'm not scaring you off, just sit at home and, you know, wait until, you know, the Lord drops a bomb on you or something and says, I want you to do, try stuff. That's the only way you're going to figure it out. You know what I like to say? You can't turn a bicycle if you're not pedaling. You can't. And by the way, those of you that drive real, real slow, you can't turn your car unless you're going either, right? <laughs> Number eight is commit every step to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Well, that's essentially Proverbs 16.3, right? Commit whatever you do to the Lord and your plans will be established or your plans will succeed. So here's what you do. You make a plan, you think through some things, but you have to commit every step along the way to the Lord. Because you might not get a clear answer. You might not just get you know, this voice in your head that says, do this, do that, whatever. But you make a plan, you pray, you seek, you ask, you believe that this is the direction you're supposed to go. And then as you take every step, you let the Lord speak to you, right? In fact, I like uh, you go all the way down to Pro uh, Proverbs uh, 16, 9, I believe. There it is right there in number 10. Um, we'll skip back up to number 9 in just a moment. Number 10, man plans, God laughs. Well, that's not actually a scripture. That's a Yiddish proverb, all right? We plan, and God says, <laughs> really? You don't know the future, okay? Actually, you plan, but God directs your steps. The mind of a man plans his way, but it is the Lord that directs his steps. What does that mean? That means you make a plan... But when you get checked and you can't go forward here and you're going to have to go right or left or back, you need to stop and ask the Lord, is this you? Why, why is this happening? I need to figure this out. I need to work through this, Lord. And what you may find is that this redirects your plan. You plan, okay, but the Lord will direct your steps. So why not take a couple of steps back? Oh, take a couple of verses up from verse 9 and say, I'm going to commit each step to the Lord. So my process of getting into Baylor originally was I had, uh, I had given my life to Jesus when I was 16. And a year later, there was a, uh, at that time, an evangelist. You might know him now. He's on TV now. He does not really consider an evangelist anymore. I don't know what you would call him. But his name is James Robinson. You ever heard of this fellow? At that time, he was going around and he had these huge, they called them crusades back then. I think that's kind of like a bad word these days. But it was just huge meetings. And he had an eight-day meeting uh, at our church that was televised in the whole nine yards. They had all these celebrities that came, and he preached every night. And the first night that he was preaching, uh, I went forward to make a commitment or a recommitment of my life. Now, I'd only been a believer for a year, but I still felt pulled to do that. And at that point in time, at 17 years of age, I committed my life to preach the gospel. Well, I had been a part of the Spanish club in high school, so believe it or not, even though my Spanish is not very good at all, no bueno, um, 
I did take three years of Spanish in high school. I was in the Spanish club. And there was a small Christian school in our city that used to host this foreign language festival. And we would go. It was a lot of fun. It, it didn't look really you know, that great. Uh, it wasn't a, a really wealthy school, really well-known school at that point in time. But um, when I got to my senior year, I had looked at different schools, but I just decided I was just going to go across town and go to Grand Canyon College. Now it's Grand Canyon University, and it's huge. And it is pretty renowned because they advertise everywhere, and you can get online degrees with them and everything. But back then, it was just a small Christian school. I started going there, but after I had been going there for, uh, for uh, my freshman year and halfway through my sophomore year, I, got, I, I had a subscription to Campus Life magazine, which was a magazine directed to high school kids, largely. And uh, it, was, uh, it was like the junior level version of Christianity Today. It um, was uh, produced by the same people. And I remember getting this magazine, and this was the fall of my sophomore year, and I'm looking through it, and I'm seeing all these ads for these different Christian colleges, and I started getting this kind of urge to go somewhere else. I just kind of felt this pull. And what had happened was I had kind of gotten comfortable where I was. You know, I, I mean, I, I knew the ropes. I'd grown up in that city, and I just, I just believed that I needed to move up and I needed to move out. So I looked at these different schools. My friend that I told you about a couple of weeks ago, Randy Moody, he was, uh, we were very competitive together. He was the one that gave me kind of the best example of a, a Christian young person. And he had chosen to go to Abilene Christian University. Well, at this point in time, I was going to North Phoenix Baptist Church, and I thought, well, I could always go to Hardin-Simmons, which is in the same city, right? So this is following your buddy, not following your honey, right? But following your buddy. And then we could be in the same city, and that would be kind of interesting. So I applied to Hardin-Simmons. And then I had seen some ads in this magazine for um, a, a, a school called Biola University in La Mirada, California. And I kind of always wanted to go to California anyway, and it had a really good reputation, so I applied there. No ads, nothing, just way in the back, there were like these little classified, you know, no big page ads, and hey, come to our beautiful campus and all that. Little bitty ad in the back of Campus Life magazine for Baylor University. Now, they have like full page everything ads now, but I had found out, discovered that there was a Baylor University because Grant Taft, their football coach, had spoken at our church. He'd come to North Phoenix Baptist Church um, in 1980, the year I was graduating uh, from college, and that was the year that uh, Baylor won the Cotton Bowl, and he came and he spoke at our, at our church. Really, really strong Christian man, and uh, so I didn't feel any pull to go to Baylor at that point, but it let me know that a Baylor existed. So I see this little ad in the back, and I'm like, you know what? I'll apply there. So I did. So um, I said I applied at Hardin-Simmons. I didn't. I, I got information from them, but I never applied there. Uh, but I did apply at Biola, and I got accepted. And I applied at Baylor, and I got accepted. And I'm like, what am I going to do? So I'm going through this process of making this decision. And the reason I'm telling you about this decision is because these are high school seniors that are going to be going through a similar process. But I want to show you how the mind of the man, the mind of the person plans their way, but the Lord directs their steps. And I'm just going to show you how the Lord does that, how he speaks through things, right? So the Lord parried this down for me, but I just could not get any straight answer, any sense of leading or anything. Biola's in California, right? West Coast, uh, unchurched area. 
Baylor's in Central Texas, heart of Texas, right? Uh, you know, the buckle of the Bible belt, basically. But I couldn't get any straight answer from the Lord, I didn't feel like. Well, what needed to happen in order for me to get a scholarship to either school is I was going to have to get a recommendation from my church. Now, the way we did that is uh, if you are called to preach, you can become licensed to preach. Now, that doesn't mean you can't preach without a license. It simply is a recognition by a particular body of, of, or church that they believe you've been called to preach. And then that puts you in the position. So if somebody, let's say, wants you to do their wedding, well, you're a recognized, uh, in Texas, it's, there are really minimal requirements of who officiates your wedding. Uh, but um, in some states, and Arizona may be one of them, there, there needs to be a recognition that you are a community leader or that you are a church leader or whatever. But nonetheless, it served as a recommendation by that church wherever I went to college. Well, in order to get that recommendation, this is not a small church like this, okay? There were more people in their choir than we have in this church. And they had a choir loft behind the auditorium, which, by the way, the auditorium seated 5,000 people. They had a choir loft behind the auditorium that seated 150, and that's where the choir practiced. So I had to show up on uh, uh, a Monday night after Monday night outreach because that's when the deacons met. So you don't know what a deacon is in our church, they're called ministers. They had 150 deacons sitting there staring down at me. Young man. And I had to give my testimony to them and tell them that you know, I believed I was called to preach. And at the end of my testimony, without being sure of it at all, I just said, and I believe I'll be attending Baylor University in the fall. Now, it might have been that I said that because I'm like, well, this is a Baptist church, a Baptist school, that'll, give them, that'll really impress them. I don't know. <laughs> or it might have been because there was just that sense that that's probably where I'm going to be this fall. But I wasn't absolutely sure of that. I just made that statement. Well, the whole church has to vote on this. So the deacons approved it. And then the following Wednesday night, there was a business meeting after the Bible study. And again, there's like, three or four or 500 people there. And the pastor does the business meeting. And he said, and we have a young man that uh, we're recommending uh, to be licensed to preach. And it's Daryl Hall. And he'll be attending Baylor University this fall. And I went, oh. <laughs> but that wasn't it. It just was, it was right. It just was right. You got to make a decision, but God is going to be every step of the way, trying to speak to you. Amen? And try, trying to work through all of those decisions that lead up to the major decision, all right? Um, so number nine, motive matters, all right? Proverbs 16.1 says, it, the Lord weighs the heart. The Lord is looking at your heart, right? We, we make plans, but the Lord is looking at your intention, so if your intention is just to make money or chase your best friend or to gain prestige or to gain power, that's, those aren't motives that the Lord is going to bless. But if your motive, if your intention is just to do the will of the Lord, you might not have a clear uh, choice in front of you. It may seem like, wow, I'm just not totally sure then what you do is you make the best choice, the wisest choice, the most reasonable choice you can while you're seeking to honor the Lord. Amen? 
And you're going to find that God has already gone ahead of you and he's worked ahead of you. So the long story short of me coming to Baylor, I loaded on a Greyhound bus with a steamer trunk and went all the way to Waco, Texas. Took the first taxi in my life from downtown Waco to Penland, which is the, the dormitory that I stayed in. That's not that far. Like It's like three miles, but I couldn't walk three miles or two miles with a steamer trunk. And so I took that. And here I am at this major, major university with all these rich kids. And somehow it was what the Lord wanted for me. The Lord has a plan for you. Amen? So you need to seek the will of God and not your own will or your own desire. So I don't know why you needed that message today. Again, I primarily wanted it for these seniors and, and so forth, but I think a lot of us are facing various decisions in our lives. And I would like for you to consider what I've said today and to look at the word and to listen to the Lord, all right? Let's pray together and then we're going to uh, enter into a final time of worship. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of uh, having your word so that we can have direction. Um, there are a lot of people right now that are scared and they're confused and they're panicky. But when we look to your word, when we focus our attention on you and not on the world, then you give us peace of mind. You give us a peace that surpasses understanding. And so I pray that you will comfort all of those who listen to this message or watch this at any period of time and that you will give them the direction uh, that they should go. You, you say that we can ask you for wisdom and you will give us wisdom. So I pray, Father, for wisdom to be given to those who need it today in Jesus' name.